Hello, and welcome to another episode of Get Out a Wrap, where we talk uh, the podcast all about contact center chat. Now, my next guest is someone who I saw a few years ago now on stage um, sharing best practice at a forum event. Um, something always found very, very helpful, great insight. This, um, I'm very pleased to welcome Chris Rainsforth, who is Head of Operational Management Best Practice for Verint, and previously was at the forum for many years as the Community Development Manager, and has got lots of experience prior to that at um, NPower. Um, so, Chris, thank you for giving up your time and welcome. No, thank you for having me, Martin. I'm uh, looking forward to it. <laughs> Good. So, um, I've just given a very, very brief like, kind of potted history, and I know when we've spoke, um, your journey, I think, is going to be one that's familiar to many, but where, where did it all start for you? So, for me, it started when I was at college, so like many, right? Um, a bit of extra beer money uh, <laughs> for a weekend, um, and I used to work part-time on an evening for a double glazing company, um, either trying to sell double glazing or taking complaints from people whose double glazing hadn't been installed particularly well. Um, and it was a bit of a baptism of fire, to be fair. Um, and probably did that for a couple of years. Uh, and then I left the industry for a bit to carry on my studies. Uh, and then, again, in a similar vein, I moved from uh, where I was living to, to another city. Uh, I needed to find some work pretty quick. Uh, and there was an abundance of call centre jobs out there. At that time, it was kind of the late 90s, early 2000s, where you know there was a bit of a boom in the industry at that point. Um, so getting work was relatively easy. Uh, and yeah, and then since then, twenty years on, I'm I'm still I'm still plodding on, uh, fighting the good fight. What What is it that's kept you in the industry for that length of time? Given when you started, I imagine, especially after your education, you had choices. So what What was it that? And we'll talk about how much things have changed. But even back then, why Why stay in the industry? So I think at the time, right, so at the time it was, again, it's probably a, a very familiar story for, for the listeners, but it was a quick fix. It was a, it was an easy route into something where you could earn a relatively decent salary. Um, and with, you know, at that, at that time, with very, you know, no real qualification required, um, just a basic level of, you know, confidence and 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 customer service type ethos those types of things so it was a it was a quick fix to a, to solve a problem that i had at the time but the thing that kept me in was the the people side of it i think is the thing that's probably kept me in in love with contact centers for as long for as long as i've been in there because no matter which center you work in the sense of family the sense of pride you know you could be working in these large organizations but actually, that team of people that you're working with become your confidants, they become your drinking buddies, they become your pals, you know. And that, you know, I've got friends that I've met in the industry 20 years ago that, I, you know, I'm still friendly with now, even though our careers have gone off in different directions. But, you know, we'll never forget that kind of camaraderie that we did at the time where we worked to that organisation. So, yeah, the people, it's, you know, it, from an industry perspective, I think is the most fantastic selling point of the whole thing. I, I'm, I'm just got, I have a massive grin on my face here because I think there's going to be so many people that 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 resonates with. You know, you um, your 
you're going through shared experiences together, sat next to someone, maybe even um, being challenged in the same way. But like you said, you, you're sharing, you, sh you end up sharing so much with people, don't you? You do. And, you know, you spend, you know, in, in a lot of cases, eight hours a day sat next to the same group of people. And, you know, you get to learn about each other's lives and, you know, you do. And you, and you don't just share the work strain and the work stresses, but, you, you know, you share their personal stresses as well. And, you know, you become part of that, you know, a greater unit um, of kind of, you know, helping each other along. And, you know, when someone's having a bad day and being able to kind of be a shoulder to cry on and, and all those things, I think were really you know, are still very powerful for me, uh, even in the role I'm doing today, you know, that, that sense of teamwork, that sense of achievement, those things that, you know, no matter how bad it gets, um, you've always got each other to rely on. And that, that sense of um, family and belonging and esprit de corps, you have that then. So then what does, what did that first step in progression look like? And what was that like? But for me, it felt so. I felt once I'd become comfortable that it was an industry that I was enjoying, and I wanted to learn more about how um, how things operated outside of just you know um, being a call handler at that time. And I wanted to learn more about the business. I wanted to learn more about the kind of mechanics that sat behind it. And, and back then, it was you know very much still in its infancy in terms of um, technology and all those things. But still, there was there was science behind the way rotors were put together. There was science behind, you know, the coaching element and the way we motivated people and the way we looked at performance. And, and those things really interested me. Um, so for me, it just felt a natural kind of step to try and find that opportunity. And I think, again, that's probably another thing that, from an industry perspective, that is, you know, open to everybody. There's no limits on progression, I don't think, within the industry. If you've got the, you know, if you've got the the desire and the passion to do well, you'll do well. Um, you know, if you're if you want to be a really good agent and be the best agent you want to be, you're allowed to be a really good agent and the best you want to be. It's, you know, there should be no restrictions. And for me, it was more of, I wanted to learn more around how things worked. I'm very in, kind of inquisitive like that uh, and, and found the opportunities when they came. So for me, it was, I've, I've, I've done this, I've, I've done an apprenticeship, so to speak, in terms of understanding the customer and, and what the customer needs and wants are. But now I want to understand more about people. So actually, how do I motivate a team? How can I coach a team? How can I make my teammates be better at what they're doing and help them be better at what they're doing? Um, so that's why I took that step through progression into, into kind of taking over a team at that stage. What, would, um, what were the challenges that a, a brand new Chris as a team leader faced? Yeah, probably the same challenges as a brand new team leader today, right? So, you know, you, you get the old thing. I mean, I, I had a quite a quick progression uh, in in terms of uh, I'd been an agent for six months before becoming a, a team leader, team manager at the time. So I'd, I had a quite a, a quick a quick route into that role in in in, um, in comparison to others. But yeah, you know, you still get that new boy. I was relatively young, you know. I'm, I'm just turning 40 now. So if you think, you know, go back 20 years, I was kind of 18, 19 when I became a, a team leader uh, for the first time. And there's always that challenge around, you know, who who is he to tell me 
um, what to do. He's not been here that long. He he doesn't do that. Again, it was a you know, and 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 the balance on the other side, you know, for my own kind of confidence and performance, trying to find that balance of sitting down with a uh, one of the one of the team who's you know uh, an older person that has got that more experience than me and being able to give them advice and give them things that will help resonate with them was a massive challenge um, to, to overcome and, you know, for you know, an 18, 19 year old lad. I think, um, I think we've mentioned this before when we've spoken, we've had very similar journeys. I, I don't know if this is something that will, um, you can uh, think about that you maybe went through something similar. I can remember um, if I look back, I was as a young team leader like you, the majority of my team being a lot older and you were aware of the fact that they have more life experience. But I had a lot of passion, yeah. a lot of ideas. But I think if I, as I look back now, I think my confidence was pretty brittle. So when things that I wanted to try didn't work, I kind of folded very quickly. And then that affected my confidence and just being able to I can remember at times thinking how on earth am I going to sit down with someone and help guide them through both the professional um, in a professional way but naturally it always lends itself there's always personal elements that are brought into into play how am I going to talk to someone who has a child the same age as me and yeah. that first year was I think if I was to look back and look at that, it was a real roller coaster. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that the confidence comes with experience in a lot of cases. And, you know, back then, for me, there wasn't, you know, the development paths that are available today. So, you know, we didn't have coaching programs for leaders. We didn't have the these kind of, you know, workshops and management development programs and, and these things weren't really in existence then. We, you know, we had standard basic HR type training, so how to follow a process. Mm. Um but that was pretty much it. You were you know you were you were kind of given the reins to a group of people uh, and given some performance metrics to achieve. Um, and there you go, go ahead and do it. And, you know, I was lucky at the time that I had a an ops manager who um, was very keen on the people development side of things and taught me, uh, taught me more than anybody else, really, I think, especially in that early stage of my career around how to uh, deal with people, how to deal with different types of people, and how to be, uh, how to, how to bring things to life for them. Uh, and I think that for me is um, one of the best things that I got out of it is that I had mentors that could teach me this stuff because there was nothing really about to to to, to learn from. Um, and you know, you had to trial and error a lot of things and and and, and go through that. And you know, like you said, as you, you tried something, it didn't work. It was, you know, am I, am, I, am, I, am I cut out for this? Can I do this? Am I, am I good at this job? Or, you know, is it something that I've bitten off uh, more than I can chew? And, you know, I think having other leaders around me that were had had the experience and being able to pull off that experience uh, set me up really well for the future. So if, they, if that, and that's a great point. If you were to offer um, advice around lessons learned, obtaining mentors I, I guess were they all people that were in, in the same company that you were at at the time or 
So the main one was, yeah, he was my direct line manager at the time, a um, gentleman called Carl, and he was brilliant, you know, but he, he understood, and he, he'd been on a similar journey himself, so he was relatively young anyway, um, but had responsibility for 250 people. Um, I just had my 12. Um, and, you know, spending time with him and letting him know what my ambitions were and, and, and why I wanted to progress and those types of things helped him kind of tailor his own development for me um, and go, these are things that I think you've got strengths in and these are things that we can focus on to draw out and, you know, these are things that we can work on to, to build your confidence up. Um, and, you know, that was critical for me. I think if I hadn't have had somebody like that to help shape my thinking, um, it could have been a different story. Um, but yeah, I think finding mentors is fine. I think, you know, for now, there's so much out there now for people to tap into from a resource perspective. Um, but from a people perspective, you know, there is, I know, you know, loads of people that are willing to give up their time to just help people. Um, and, you know, that's, again, another beauty of the of the industry is that people understand it and people know the challenges that people are going through and there is you know any amount of people that be willing to to help you get through some of those um you know difficult moments and if we touch upon that you mentioned it earlier around how there weren't as many or there certainly they were not prevalent in terms of progression and plans and training and courses to help you do that what else have you seen from where you are now when you look back in terms of how the industry has changed i think the industry changed um for me it was more when we got away from and it, I mean, it's still there now but it's not as prevalent as it was but when when i first came into it it was very much around delivering a low cost service okay so everything was metric driven and not saying that's a bad thing we need we need a level of metrics to understand how our business performing that's you know that's not the point i'm making what i'm what i'm trying to get to is that metrics were they were the key driver of everything so all our performance related stuff was always driven around the metrics around how you are handling calls from a numbers perspective um as the industry developed and customers became more savvy, that thinking changed a little bit. So when we became more customer-focused and metrics became not secondary, but not as kind of big stick type um, activity, we saw a change in the way we started to look at people. Um, and when we made that change from driving the metric, but actually thinking around how people are our lifeblood, then that's when the change happened. And we start to see those things becoming more prevalent. You know, businesses became savvy. We want to keep staff. We want to retain talent. We want to retain the knowledge because that's an investment. So if we're going to invest in that and invest in a recruitment level, then why aren't we investing in these people once they are in our doors and, and working for us? And, you know, I think there's been a significant shift in, in that type of activity now where, you know, they are investing in people. They are investing in, you know, the development of, um, of of their agents and providing them with qualifications and routes to academia that probably weren't there kind of 15, 20 years ago. Um, and 
that you know that for me is something that stands out and you know when you see these people now i see them on linkedin all the time where they've got these long service awards where they've been with organizations 10 15 years you know that that is testament to the the, the change in the industry when you know i i went through a period with one organization where we were just recruiting people en masse constantly um and people were just going and not getting through a probationary period because they weren't hitting metrics and actually we were losing good people, but our process was around, we've got to hit these metrics or they're not good enough. And that wasn't right. Um, and now that the, the focus has changed away from that to actually go, let's retain that talent. Let's invest in that talent. We are seeing a, you know, for me, a, a, a greater industry than, than what we had. I, I totally agree. I think one of the things that underpins so much that is good about the industry over and above people is at its core is there another industry that is as efficient more numbers driven to the you know to the odd to the minute and just creates this foundation of a massively efficient complex organization but like you I, I think you've hit the nail on the head what's changed is recognizing that you're asking people entry-level jobs sometimes um and their first exposure to a company is around minutes that they're spending on the on the toilet, and yeah. <laughs> you know, but that, and that, what a shock that is. But I think that has, and um, this would be a question to you: do you do you think that kind of mentality still exists, or is it, I, or does it has it changed? I think it has changed. I think you know you will find pockets of that around in the industry. I think it's just the nature of the beast where you'll. You will get pockets of that, but you. I think there is a definite shift now. I think you know. Back to your point, I think we are from an industry the most diverse, mm. probably the, the most um, equal, um, and one of the most passionate industries out there. And we've started to realise that, and mm. that awakening, that, that kind of awakening, for for one of a better phrase, is has been down to the people side of it. And I think yes, you might find bad management practices um but i'd find bad management practices in any industry um what i like to see now is that you know where i go and the organizations i spend time with that's not as prevalent as what it used to be and you know the focus is on the people and the focus is on making sure they are equipped to do the best they can do um, whether that's through technology, whether it's through the, the kind of flexibility of the schedule, whatever that might be, but they are giving them that balance to grow as individuals. And on the flip side, as a business, they're re retaining talent but maintaining their service standards because they're driving a happier workforce, for want of a better kind of expression, and, and, and through that are driving a better customer experience. And that they've opened their eyes that that's the right thing to do it's the right thing to invest in it's the right thing to spend time on um and that for me is you know a really positive step forward 100 percent agree i think there's so much more that's been done now that recognizes that to get the best customer service the best customer experience by helping people and being aware of things like emotional intelligence and um because you, you're trying to square the circle around even even though people are dealing with more complex tasks, it's still a repetitive task if you're on the front line, yeah. front line team member. And how 
it's the environment you create around that and the support that you create that means that they're better able to do that day in, day out, you know, because yeah. that and, and you, hasn't changed, does it? No, you know, the, the job's the job, right? That's, that, mm. that, you know, that, you know that's, that's, that's the key thing. No matter what, what industry you're in within the, you know, within the contact centre, it doesn't matter. You know, you're still doing uh, the primary you know, the main primary focus is is generally to deal with customers and make sure we resolve any issues that they have. But the environment that they build, the, the kind of camaraderie, the, the teamwork. And, you know, if you look now, I mean, if you go back, you know, even from a uh, just an environment perspective, and, and you'll see this, Martin, when you go out and about, but this, the, the, the way offices have changed in terms of the layout, in terms of the facilities that are available to people, the things that they that that are now afforded to them in that environment is is night and day compared mm-hmm. to when I first started, where we were just <laughs> sat in we we're you know, just sat in rows and you know very you know very limited sunlight to to a degree. We, you know, my first one was a, was above a warehouse floor with a skylight. That was it. Um, and you know now you can go into some of these fantastic office space that are open plan there colorful they're you know they're 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 inviting um and that's all down to that point of going making the people be the best they can be by giving them an environment they feel proud and happy to be in that's often an overlooked point isn't it i think you can walk into i think we're the same we're very lucky now aren't we that we get to see yes lots of contact centers and there's so much I gain from I think you can tell when you first walk in even into the reception area that yeah. those first that first sort of hundred meters you'll know oh okay this place is great and I, I'm like you I think 90% of the time I think do you know what people have realized that create a good environment show that you care about people and they're going to stay longer deliver a better job and so much of that is quite simple stuff yeah, it's it, it you know it's not um, it's not rocket science, and I think you know we go we work with a customer and, and, and a couple of years ago now when I was with a forum and they were doing these environmental changes and, and looking at the way their culture was and one of the things they were trying to do was kind of get them to utilize some of the different tools they had and the feedback they got from their people was that you know it's difficult to keep everything um on my screen at any one time and so they invested in just just the simplest of things of getting them a second screen for their workstation and it it was as if you know as if they changed their lives mm. just by doing yeah. that and the, the atmosphere changed the the engagement changed and the business in the long run got what their original intention was was to utilize some of the tools more efficiently mm. um, but they did it without big stick in it they went i've listened to you you're telling us there's a problem with what we're asking you to do so i'll invest in that and it changed the entirely changed the way they worked and it's just little things about listening to the people that are doing this day in day out because you know if they're frustrated about something whatever it might be whether it's a process whether it's uh, whether it's uh, part of the environment whether it's the systems whatever it is that driving that frustration that frustration will lead to two things it'll lead to a demotivated workforce and it will lead to attrition and you've got to listen to your people you have to do that if you're gonna you know retain that talent great point i i can i rem- 
I can remember something similar that I don't, I think the evidence is you don't necessarily need to spend a huge amount of money either. No. As, as long as you are, like you say, asking your people, just, just tell me your frustrations. What are the things? One of the things that comes to mind for me is I worked in a contact center a long, long time ago where we asked the team, what's, you know, what's the biggest bugbear for you? And the thing that came up really surprised all of us because I think we all had maybe more grandiose ideas, right? And it was just that they, the teams couldn't understand, even though we had quite a bit of space, they were all sat quite close together so that if you went to get up and move, your chair bumped into the chair of the person behind you. <laughs> and nobody had ever said to them, why is it like this? Can you not just move us 30 centimetres further apart? The moment we did that, like you say, it, things changed. People were far happier. And it actually started us on a process of regularly surveying the team, yeah. regularly getting that kind of continual feedback. What more can we do? What more can we do? And then just kind of grouping it up. What's low effort? What's no cost, medium yeah. cost, high cost? What can we do now? You know, and just involving people in that process. It's critical. And I think, you know, if we're going to, if you're going to invest the time in doing that, you've got to have that communication channel open that allows people to give their feedback and for you to take ideas away. But you've got to keep people updated. You know, some of these initiatives fall down because they take ideas in, but then don't, don't give progress updates um so it has to be that continual cycle of this is what we're working on this is what we're doing we are listening to you um and these are the things that you know you can expect and that just gains confidence i think from the the people that are there that they're being listened to uh and they can make a difference i think when we close our ears to that feedback then we're opening ourselves up to a whole load of problems that are unnecessary exactly and if you, if you think about um, your role now and your title now around operational management best practice, what can you, is it even possible to summarise what are the sort of main things that people come and talk to you about, about the challenges that they, that they face? Cultural shift is a big one um, and it's always going to be a challenge. I think the the way the industry is we have and it's typically because we see a lot of senior movement so see people in senior roles moving and they come back in they have their own ideas and they want to change things so contact centers tend to always be in the middle of a change cycle Mm. um for whatever reason and you know the the key things they ask us to is how talk to me about is how do we maintain what we've what we've built but also bring in these new ideas and don't break what we've created, um, especially if you know if they've created something that's positive, and they want to maintain that level of positivity through any significant change. Um, so that's always a hot topic in terms of you know getting getting to the point of what things are working today, what are actually driving benefit for you as a as a as a team as an operation, and what are the things that stay important to you regardless of the changes that are happening around you um and being able to pinpoint those things and hold on to them can help through those periods of change because it doesn't feel as dramatic in some cases um and then the other stuff for me is typically around how we maintain our um 
kind of performance levels and maintain our motivation and those types of things as the way we do business changes. So, you know, we talked about it earlier a little bit around the, the types of things we're asking people to deal with now when they're dealing with customers are significantly more complex than what they were 10, 15, 20 years ago um, and has become more challenging. Um, and just making sure we have the right outlets for those people to develop um, and to make sure we've got the right outlets for them to um kind of grow into those changes and and feel comfortable with those changes is critical um we can overload people in this industry you said it before it's the most data rich mm. industry out there we know everything about everything um <laughs> if we go looking for it um and being able to pull out the real kind of tangible things that are going to make a difference to the way our people work and behave um is a hard job and as long as we can get to those things that don't negatively influence our people then we should be okay and that's where i tend to focus a lot of time on is just saying okay there's this big thing that's going on what are the things that you can influence what are the things that uh, are of no consequence to you and what can we kind of hold on to to make sure we don't break the good stuff that you've created and is that through, are these exercises really to help people see the wood for the trees? Yeah, yeah. And I like that analogy. It's that thing of going, we, yeah, you, it, everything, you know, people, humans, we all do it. We, we, we get nervous. We panic around things. We become paranoid about certain things. When any type of changes happen, it's just human nature. So it's one of those let's sit down, let's talk around what's happening today, let's talk around how these changes are going to affect you, let's talk around how these um, changes are going to benefit you um, and let's think of how we can maintain uh, a level of performance that that's not going to be uh, a negatively impacting the business but fundamentally not negatively impacting the customer um, and let's ensure we've got those kind of foundations and in place before we, we, we start to push any significant change through. And I, and I love the point around, you know what, recognising that you're pretty much always going to be in a state of change. Yeah. You know, that kind of, um, do you do any work with people around, with that in mind, um, understanding that different people react in different ways to going through the change curve? Yeah, so so yeah, so I, I try to, um, you know, it's it's always got to be in the forefront of my mind when we're dealing with anything like that. So I think when we're, you know, when I'm talking to to, to customers or clients, the key things that we look at is going right. Okay, so where are potentially going to be some of our barriers throughout any thing that we're trying to do so if it's a implementation for example you know we 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 have a, a, an upfront conversation before we even get too far down any journey to to say okay so let's talk through what are the, what are some of the barriers that are there what are some of the the challenges that that, that we're going to face both operationally and, and from my side of things so where are some of those challenges going to come from um are they going to be personal and people challenges are they going to be technical and operational challenges what are they going to be let's try and define what those things look like let's try and then define how we can overcome them before they even become a problem um or become a challenge and let's make sure that the communication of all this stuff is up front from the day from you know from day one so people are fully aware 
aware of what's happening. They're fully aware of, 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 of what the plan is, what the timeline might be, when they can expect certain things to happen. And I find by doing that up front and having those conversations that nothing's a surprise then. Mm. So... Again, going back to the point we made earlier around making sure people are included in these conversations. It's all right getting people included in, you know, tell us your frustrations and we'll go away and we'll fix them and we'll do all that good stuff. But anything that affects them, mm. you know, whether it's a, a change to a policy, whether it's a change to a process, whether it's a new technology, it doesn't matter what it is. If, if it's going to affect them in any way, whether it's a positive effect or potentially a negative effect or a perceived negative effect, then let's have that conversation now and let them have their um, their input into that yeah. because they will know what's going to work for them mm. rather than us tell them what to do. It's sometimes you know it, again it's simple stuff that we all should be doing. We just sometimes try not to do it for whatever reason. I think from then from what you're saying, those central themes are so so true around people and communication. So are you communicating and not, and not to be scared of that? I think it's, it's the absence of communication um, that always causes that people will just fill the gaps themselves, won't they? Especially in our industry, right? Because it's like, yeah. it's like the giant, it's the biggest game of Chinese whispers, right? All it's because f- from an overheard conversation to, um, to then go across, you know, you, you could have a conversation by the coffee machine at nine o'clock in the morning. By the time you, you go for lunch at 12, everyone's talking about it in the dining room, right? And that's why we've got to be, because we've already said at the start, the, 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 the beauty of this industry is that the family, the friends, the, the kind of camaraderie that you develop with people. So if somebody thinks something's amiss, Everyone's going to think somebody's a miss before we even we, before we, before we know about it. So, if we're not open and upfront with people, we will cause more damage. Yeah, because they'll make their own mind up, they'll make their own opinion, they'll be demotivated, scared, or whatever before they even know what the truth is. And the truth could be completely opposite to what they think. So let's be mindful of that, and let's make sure we are completely open with our people. Um, there are there are kind of key. You know, for me, the key role in the contact center, the people on the front line are by far the hardest working and the most critical role in a lot of cases. And, you know, let's treat them as such. Definitely dead right. And I think there's no excuse these days for with with technology and what a great enabler it can be in how people communicate and how you can communicate with, regardless of the size of your contact center, it could be 10, could be a thousand. There's so many means now that a lot of um, frontline team members are very used to communicating with, whether it's video, whether it's things, you know, the how messaging has changed. We're doing something at the moment and we just thought we'd try it and it's, it's worked really well. And that is for some of us that are not always based in the office, we are just taking to doing some very, very short videos um, of more often than not it's us stood on a train platform but we're just saying, <laughs> it's it, we're just saying we're just off to the expo or we're just off to see somebody doing this or we're just off to this um conference and then a 20 30 40 second video afterwards saying here's what we learned and we're going to share the output with you and 
it's it's really taken off and our teams um, love it to the point where now internally we're videoing stuff for the people that might not be on shift that day um, birthday messages and we have this whole um, like news channel I'm sure it's going to evolve into a TV station so <laughs> Um, so one of the things that's obviously your passion for the industry and for the central themes that have stayed the same. So family, the focus on people, and even that as how much you know that's improved. That's very much internally, internally, you've seen how the industry has changed. What about externally and the perception of the industry? What are your thoughts on that? So this is a tricky one. So, you know, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you a little story and then I'll kind of expand from there. So I remember uh, a good few years ago, um, I was in a one-to-one with one of my team um, and he'd been a bit down, he'd been a bit um, not performing as well as he, he typically does. Um, and we just got into, into a general conversation around what his aspirations were, what did you know, what what was what did he see his career looking like? And you know, he was very downhearted about it. He said, well, I never expected to be here. Um, doing this um, so I dug a bit deeper and one of the things that um, it was it was um, kind of like a, a slight to people as they're growing up around if you don't do well in school you'll end up working in the call centre it's kind of what had been said so he'd seen himself as a failure so he he had this perception in his mind that he was a failure because he'd end up working in the call centre Um. And you know, it, it took a while to get through him to say, you know, there is a there's a there's a there's a route here for you. There's 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 a career path for you. You can do a lot of things, you know. And I stand by that. I stand by that. If you have, you know, the, you know, if you've got that kind of ambition to um, be anything you want to be, you can do that within the contact centre industry. I think you know you can get to a level of academia through the industry. Now you can get to a level on par with your peers. Um, you know, doing roles within the industry that you know they're doing in other organisations. There's no limits, I don't think. And you know, that for me was a eye opener back then. Mm. That there was this perception. Now I never saw that internally because I thought I actually quite enjoy what I do I, yeah. I, I, I love my job <laughs> yeah. all those types of things now and, and I've got this young lad telling me that you know he's a failure because he's working the call center and I was saying well what, what does that make me um <laughs> yeah. and, and even bigger one <laughs> yeah exactly. so, so that and that, that that's kind of what got me thinking about what is the perception now and what is it and then and I think in the main I think we are starting to see, and people that work around the industry probably don't feel it as much right we i think we we have seen a shift in the perception there's loads of initiatives around now around kind of changing some of that perception and you know up, I, I live up in newcastle in the northeast we've got a, a kind of contact center partnership um program up here that has um contact center ambassadors that are telling their stories and telling mm-hmm. their you know the journeys and the careers that they've gone with in the northeast to try and bring people back into the industry and, and those types of things so i think there's a lot of work going on to change it i think the public's perception is changing um but like anything it's a it's a massive old industry where you do have po- pockets of uh, 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 of negativity and you know I, I think it has changed i think there is a more positive spin now and i think customers are starting to accept 
the the contact center because contact centers are getting better at doing what they do uh they're being more efficient they're being more customer focused they are being more resolution focused those types of things um so i do think there's a shift happening i think the but there will always be a, a level of scepticism about the industry um which i don't know if we'll ever we'll ever get rid of but you know people still don't like the banking industry for example you know, people still hate utility companies. You know, there's, there's this inherent kind of perception of certain industries that we'll never get rid of. We can just try and improve it um, based on the way we go about our day-to-day business. And, you know, I'm proud to see lots of organisations doing a lot of good things to not only change the perception of their people internally, but the, the, the perception of their customers by investing that, uh, investing in their customers to deliver a better service and make sure they go out of the way. Um, you know, I'd read a story uh, yesterday on just where, you know, an organization's billing system had gone down um, and to not inconvenience the customer, they just let them have the stuff for free. Now they, I don't know how much they would have given away in kind of 30 minutes while the system was down, but, that would have never happened mm. years ago. Yeah, it'd have all been about the customer effort. You would have, you know, the the problem would have been mine as a customer, not theirs as a business. And that's what's changing, and that's changing more and more frequently than it ever was. And you know, things like that are happening more and more frequently than they ever did. And you know, that for me is a, a massive plus point. You've and you've, do you know what? I, I love all that, and you've prompted me. Um, one of the things I've that just hit home about this is to the extent to which if you think there's 6,200 contact centers in the UK and one of the things that people seem to be doing more and more of that I think has to have a positive impact on the perception of contact centers is through their corporate social responsibility and through the people that are in those contact centers wanting to do more for their local communities through volunteering and charity work. Um, You must have seen this as well. I was lucky enough to be doing some judging and some of the stuff that contact centres have done proactively for their local communities. So you think about it, often there's a collection of a thousand people, creative people, lovely people within a call centre who, if they put their mind to it and focus on whether it is a a lo- local disadvantaged people or a local school some of the stories we were hearing about what had been achieved and the positive changes that contact centers had had on their local um that you know their local uh, geographical locations around them their towns and the people in those towns instantly have a better opinion of of the industry yeah because they've made such a such a positive change and i think we should be more proactive in that sense. There's so much great stuff happening, but I think I, we're going to have to go out and do and tell people about it. Yeah, I agree. I think you know, the, 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 you know, the, the only way, you know, perceptions change through action and 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 inaction, right? So the more the more actions we take to change the way people think um, about the role that play, especially in these closer communities. So again, I, you know, in the northeast. A lot of our uh, contact centres are in pockets, and in in some of those are old industry towns, mm. okay, which would have been yeah. reliant on factories or mining, um, you know, in years gone by. Mm. Um, and now, 
businesses are coming in, setting up contact centres and, and all that stuff. So it becomes, you know, one of their main employee uh, employers in the, in the in the region or in their town or, or, or village. Um, so it's only right that, you know, if we're going to bring people in to the business that we reinvest back in the local community in whatever way we do it, um, through volunteer work or, you know, outreach programs, these types of things that allow them to do stuff. And, you know, we... You know, we see it up here where we have organisations that, that work closely with um, people like the Reoffenders um, programme and um, local job centres to, to actually help bring more people back into work to learn new skills. And, you know, that for me is another key element that you can learn so many different skills now mm. um, by working in the contact centre that, you know, why are we not going out and trying to find other talent through different means by reaching out to the community, by reaching out to some of these you know, these groups of people that have been disadvantaged or, you know, have had, have had a, a, a you know, rough ride over a few years. Let's, let's give them something to be passionate about again. And, you know, I think the contact centre industry is the industry that can do that to, to a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, and Chris, before, before I let you go, two things. One, um, would you come back on again and, and talk to me again? Oh, anytime, anytime. Martin, I, you know, I, I love talking about this stuff, you know, my, you know, and singing as well. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I love talking about the industry. I love talking about those things. And we probably only just scratched the surface today on, sure. on, 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 you know, some of the other things that I, that, that I think around that we've said around that development of people, but the way that, you know, that, that, that route to, to becoming what you want to become, you know, you, just, you know, you, if you want to be an advisor and be a good advisor, you can be, but you know, if you want to go off and learn about resource planning, MI, quality assurance, you know, training, coaching, there's so many different roles, so many different opportunities out there for people that, you know, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's it's for, for for anybody's taking if 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 they want to if they want to go for it you know it's it's a phenomenal industry with phenomenal talent um, committed people uh, and yeah I'd, I'd talk about it all day and that that is a great summary but it leads me then to my second point which is if there is someone well a if there's someone listening but if there's someone sat there who is listening to that and going yes that's me and you're only allowed to give them one bit of advice Chris what would that be Go for it. Awesome. What, what a great place to end. Chris Rainsforth, thank you very much for your time and we'll definitely speak again. My pleasure, Martin, uh, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Thank Cheers, you. mate. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.